Hello and welcome to Beginning, Middle, End, the podcast where we talk to creators and story lovers about storytelling. It's hard to conceptualize mass storytelling before the age of television. Think of a family huddled around a radio, an audience shoulder to shoulder before a lit stage, or the sight of individual faces obscured by a book or newspaper, the way we're hypnotized by phones and tablets today. Television dramatically and irreversibly changed the world's access to daily mass storytelling. I'm Shane, and stories are my favorite things in the world. Here to talk about it with me today is television director Brandy Bradburn. Hello. Brandy started as a picture editor working on shows like This Is Us and Grey's Anatomy, so she's responsible for making many of my friends ugly cry. In 2013, she moved into the world of directing on much-loved shows such as Heart of Dixie, Charmed, and the Dynasty Reboot. She's propelled by her deep need to tell stories and developing a script's full potential through performance and camera, which makes her perfect for this podcast. Welcome, Brandy Bradburn. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about story. All right. What makes a good story? For me, uh, especially once I made the transition into directing, um, I think it all comes from character for me Um, because that's where I start as a director. I take the script and I start breaking it down by character first, what they want, what their POV is, what the arc is. So the plot comes in line. All of the other elements are attuned to those choices. And so with 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 strong character, it kind of just informs everything else that I do. Shot design, production design, editing, the, you know, everything like that. So and I think the real important thing that I do, I try to make sure I do as a director is to treat the antagonist and the protagonist in an equal way. So not giving one more weight than the other. And I think it's really great when a script does that as well is where the protagonist is just as powerful and interesting and complex as your antagonist so that they have a, they have to meet their match, so to speak. So I always keep that in mind, like don't make the bad guy, the bad guy kind of thing. But, but yeah, character for me is at least the, 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 the seed from which it all comes. And you touched a little bit on this already, but some people are only familiar with a director as the person that yells action on the set. Yeah. Or they may think of them um, as a stage director or a feature director. What does a television director do? It's a, it's it's a different animal. I've directed. I haven't directed a feature, but I've directed short films, and um, I, I think a lot of the responsibility kind of just lies in in different directions. The same. You're doing the same job essentially, but you you really have to have the skills of like walking onto a set, slipping you know, seamlessly into a production that's going full bore. Um, So it really takes a lot of uh, people skills, obviously. I mean, every director needs to have that, but to just jump in and and be ready to roll. Um, I think the most important thing about television directing is even though you do have to color in the lines, there's no question a show has their tone. They have all of that has been established for the most part. The key that's crucial is that you have all these people that are working on the show and they're bringing you ideas and they bring you tons and tons of fabulous ideas, like from the actors, from the production designer, from the DP. They're going to be bringing you all these wonderful ideas. And the critical thing for me as a director is to make sure those ideas make sense within my episode. So an actor may have made a choice in a particular scene, but because of something I know that I've talked to the writer about or broken, having broken down the script from my point of view, that's that choice may be a good choice in their eyes as for their character. But for my episode, it, it may not serve the story. So it's really just taking all of what they are doing and then also in a very collaborative way, 
um, making it work for the story that, that I've been asked to tell. Okay, and you, that brings me perfectly to my next question. Most U.S. shows have multiple directors on a season. Some of that's based on logistics because U.S. TV seasons are so long, you have to have multiple episodes in different stages of progress at any given time. So each director is adding their own piece to a jigsaw puzzle. As a storyteller, talk about how you approach telling the specific story of one episode as well as telling your piece, your thread of the larger stories that weave through the season? I think the key to that, honestly, is the number one thing is the tone meeting. So this is a meeting between the, ed- uh, the, the editor often is involved, but it's primarily between the writer and the director, sometimes the showrunner. And that meeting becomes those notes from that meeting become my Bible. And so those are that's when those discussions happen when you're talking about where a character came from, where a character's going. Some some shows you've seen all the episodes if it's only been one season. Some shows have been on for six years and you may not know all the intricacies of, of what is what these characters' histories are. So they keep me honest. And so with when I understand the tone and and I get that information from them, then I can stay true to my arcs on my episode but then also have those in mind. They make sure they keep me honest. And also the actors in a big way that, you know, if you have, if, if you're collaborative with them and you're not just, you know, saying, no, this is what has to happen. They'll, you know, I'm more than happy to listen and understand why they think that this should be the choice. And then again, like I said before, you still have to go back and be like, well, you know, and be ready to explain, okay, that makes sense, but we have to address this. So this has to be, um, so yeah, just going back to my, what I was saying, the tone meeting is, is where you find out that cru- crucial information so that you're armed to the teeth when you get on set to make sure that you're staying true to, to your own story and the story overall over the series even. And as a director, is there any difference between directing the pilot episode, the first episode versus episode 34, episode 76? We're certain for certain. Um, I had the privilege of working with Brad Silberling. He directed the pilot of Dynasty and I was still editing at that time. And so he was so responsible for the just the visual, the look, the choices they made in terms of how, how the episode is shot. We have something called the Dynasty close-up. You'll notice if you watch the show, there's you'll never come here. You will never be here. It's here because, and his choice was that the world uh, of that crazy rich fantasy world of, of that is as important as the character. So those are the kind of decisions that get made. Now, granted, he's working with the, the showrunners, executive producers, and they're all collaborating together. But I think, you know, he sets the tone for the rest of the series and or she. And, I, and I'm sure that there, it, that varies. I think, you know, some directors may or may not may have more or less power when that comes. He happens to be an amazing director. So I'm sure they trusted him <laughs> with a lot of those choices. Well, you mentioned your your experience as an editor. So you've seen two sides of that storytelling equation. A lot of people don't realize just how much story can be retold in the editing room, probably less on in television than in features. But talk about storytelling as a director where you're crafting the story and the raw materials during production versus an editor finding the story and the material that's already been created. Sure. 
I have to say it's it's much uh, it's much more um, comfortable to have the material already there. <laughs> you can still do a tremendous amount of work on it. Um, you can create entire performances that really didn't even exist on on set um, if you're a good editor for sure. I think it's the factor of not knowing as a director that makes that job that much harder. You're pulling all your ideas out of the ether basically. So I think the hardest thing that the transition for me from editing to directing was just having to spend uh, the week of prep primarily. So you have usually eight days or so of preparation before you start shooting and just not knowing and just basically like slowly defining, defining, defining. But there's so much time that you just don't know what the shot's going to be, sometimes what the location is going to be. And, you know, what the cause, it just, you just don't know. So there's, there's a lot of time where you just have to be comfortable with, okay, it's less vague today. <laughs> now it's even le- less vague. It's more specific and it's getting there. Um, as an editor, it's right there in front of you and you can go to town and, and you can do amazing things with it, but it's much more reassuring, uh, you know, as an editor to just say like, okay, here's what I got. Here's what I can do with it. Um, and you'll find like, I, I Film is so plastic that, you know, um, I think that the big similarities is that you still need to understand a good performance. You still need to understand composition and lighting and all of those factors. So that thankfully going into directing from editing, I had a really clear idea of how things should be shot, how things should be covered and being able to recognize how, you know, performances and things like that. So editors, you know, I think they're pretty, pretty unsung heroes because they do really have to understand so much of the artistic element of a television show or a film. And it's not just, you know, paint by numbers by, by any means, but yeah, it's the, the, the not knowing is the hard part. I think the, the hardest part for me as a director. So editing is editing your comfort zone. Do you find directing more challenging for your skill set? Absolutely. I mean, editing used to be, you know, used to be that for me when I started, it was, I just, I remember thinking to myself before I ever edited, I was still assisting back way back when, and I just remember thinking, I couldn't, I don't know how you could ever cut a feature. That just seems impossible. <laughs> it just seemed like just like so much. I couldn't believe it. And then, you know, then 15 years go by and you're like, you have your tricks and you have your toolbox and you, you know. So I think that's a lot of the reason why I started pursuing directing because I, I kind of felt so comfortable that I've just, I'm one of those people like I, I once I got it, then I want to move on. <laughs> I can't, I've tried to tell myself not to like, just be relaxed, like do your job and you you don't have to worry. But, um, but I can't stop myself. I have to keep going. Yeah. So then what's the next step after directing? Oh Lord. I don't know. I think it'll be a while. I think the challenge of directing has become, um, I mean, it's the most challenging thing I've ever done in my life in terms of my career. I think, uh, I think it'll be a while before I have to worry about <laughs> what comes next, but I am writing and that's, that's even I, in many ways, a, more of a challenge for me. So, so yeah, I guess that's probably the next big nut to crack. Writing is a, it's a very solitary type of storytelling, unless you're part of a, a team or a writer's room. And I'm intrigued by both types of storytellers. Painting is very singular. Music and dance are collaborative as a director, you have to rely on actors, writers, designers, producers, editors to help you tell your story. Talk a little bit about the the collaborative nature of storytelling versus individual storytelling. Sure. I Well, personally, I think I thrive on the collaboration. Um, so that's why I find writing so difficult. Um, it is hard for me to be in a room by myself. And even as an editor, the idea of being like 
it's all of this notion that you're in a room by yourself as an editor cutting all the time, which isn't true at all. You're working with directors and producers and showrunners all the time, except, you know, there's a, there's a short period of time that you're by yourself cutting and then the rest of it is, you know, you're with people. Um, so, so personally, my, I prefer that collaboration. It's, that's my happy place when I'm just like, we're, you know, the whole of is better than the sum of its parts. So there's just so much that can be done on that level. It's, I find it very difficult to, to just rely on myself, but I think it goes back to what I was talking about, just pulling stuff out of the ether when you have no one else to bounce off of and no one else bringing ideas to the table, I feel like I could just be like, just so much pressure on myself. So um, I much rather enjoy, and I think that probably comes from having edited for so long. It's like just the fact that you just have to be, you have no choice to be collaborative. I find, I feel like that's my biggest strength now because of the collaboration I had to have before working with the producers and directors and, and knowing, you know, that those notes had to make sense to me and to them. It's so, but my experience writing, I've been writing recently and it's, it's a whole different animal for me. And like I said, I do like the collaboration of it. So um, it's difficult. I find myself not having those definition, that definition of this has to happen today. And this has to happen today. It's really difficult (laughs) to to motivate myself and be like, okay, I'm going to write this many pages today, or I'm going to work this many hours. And it's so easy just to not do that. (laughs) So I like, I like a deadline. I like a, you know, I I did, I actually did a lot of writing recently because I did apply for a film grant. So I had to turn in so much work of a sample of that work. So it was, it was great. I just did all this work. And then the, I turned it in and I'm like, okay, I've made some progress since then, but it, it definitely slowed to almost a halt. <laughs> now, when you're approaching your writing, can you remove your director hat and editor hat? Or are you at any point thinking that's not filmable or how would that be staged? I, I It's hard. I do think that way, um, but I don't let it stop me because I have the script I'm doing is is not a small budget. It's like it's not the script that's going to make, you know, be easy to sell it, by any means. It's 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 a big movie, but I don't know how to not make it that. I had a friend that a writer friend that was suggesting that maybe I tone it down a little bit to make it more makeable. And I tried. I really did. I tried and but then I didn't care about it. I just it, it wasn't what I had envisioned. So it's like, well, I mean, I, I just have to do so. So I always have that in the back of my head. It, it pops up and like, you're crazy. You can't go to Egypt. <laughs> but, but then it's like, well, I want to go to Egypt. So we're going to Egypt. <laughs> okay. Let's switch gears a little bit. You're a female director, which is still pretty rare and at a non-representative level in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I've said before, one of my favorite historical periods is early pre-code era Hollywood. Women had more clout and power than at any other time in the studio system. Lois Weber, the first female feature director, was also the highest paid director in Hollywood. Frances Marion was the highest paid screenwriter and a double Academy Award winner. Mary Pickford co-founded United Artists and the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. All the power and potential evaporated by the 1940s. Recently, women are taking charge again of storytelling in the Hollywood system. I talked on another episode of this podcast about what it means for actors. Now I'd like to hear... What it means for you to be a a female creator in this hopefully changing environment? Well, I definitely have been riding that wave. Um, When I started, it was basically right at the beginning of of the the things starting to open up for women, opportunities for women. 
Um, it's been a bumpy wave still. It's still really hard. It's a very hard job for anybody to get and, you know, to get a show. But I'm so grateful that I have, I'm having the opportunities that I wouldn't have had 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. And I think, but the biggest thing, other than the actual fact that we're telling female stories, which is fantastic. And it's so wonderful to be able to see that on the screen and on, um, on the TV one real change that I that I love is when I first started directing, the advice I was given by both men and women was you need to act like a man. When you're on set, you have to command the set. You have to be a man, you know, so you have to take that persona on or you're not going to, you know, get the crew to do what you want or the actors for that matter. And so that was a really, you know, it, I didn't question it at the time because it made sense. It's like, well, that's what they're used to. So I have to do this. But slowly over time, and I've talked to a lot of other female directors about this, we've been able to bring our own idea of what it means to direct to the table. And so what's wonderful about that is that I don't have to be aggressive and I don't have to. I've, I've found ways to be collaborative that don't look weak. It's just, you know, this this perception of that if you're not yelling, you, then you're just, a, you know, people aren't going to listen to you. And I've been able to get the respect of my cast and crew by my own style. And so that's been a real a really a nice change. And I think I've even heard crew comment on that and say, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be in an environment that's, you know, it's different and, and it's just as, as um, efficient or as, you know, you can still achieve the same things, but um, before we weren't allowed to do that. So, you know, that they, there's no crying in baseball. There's times when, you know, there's a scene that's so remarkable that, you know, I'll tear up. And and I think 10 years ago, I would have been like, you know, I like, can't show that. But the emotion is there. And it's and it's I think, you know, I, I hope I tear up. I hope the scene is that good. So I'm a lot more comfortable in my own skin on set. And I think that's been a really great side effect of more women making their name and and getting getting those jobs. That's great. And that's that advice seemed a little suspect anyway, because if you think about all the different styles of directing among men there's not you know it's not all authoritative screen right 500 takes until they get exactly what they want there's just there's so many different different nuanced ways to to run a set so exactly and i think and and you know that of course i know is true and knew it was true then but for just being a to avoid appear being appearing to be weak that was the advice. It's like, no, be strong, be tough, you know? And so, so it's nice not to have to go there, but yeah, it was, you know, there's plenty of men that don't direct that way. You know, I think the majority. So um, it was interesting to have to kind of try to be that person for a while. It was not fun. (laughs) So besides finding your own voice and your own style and getting comfortable on set, what is something as a director that you wish you knew when you started? I think the biggest thing I, I guess so. So blocking is something that I didn't think a lot about as a an editor. It just kind of it was it was natural. It just happened, and so but it doesn't just happen. And we'll we'll explain for the for the listeners and the viewers what what blocking is. It's the position of of actors and and things on the set in front of the camera, right. right? Yeah, and how they're moving and how they're interacting with each other physically. And I think that seems so just like that, just the, you know, it just happened. And when I'm editing away, then I'm just editing. And sometimes it would not work for whatever reason. I wouldn't necessarily know why, but I'm like, this scene's not working. It's awkward. Um, And so when I started directing, 
I realized how crucial good blocking is because you can have great acting, you can have a great script, you can have all of those things in place. And, you know, but if the blocking is off, it will fall apart in two seconds. Um, so I, I, so my approach is I just started doing this thing where I would go, I would try to go to the stages like on the weekend, maybe before I start prep or if I can, or, or I'm just imagining in my head in my hotel room as how each actor would behave and behavior is so important to, you know, telling, uh, telling story through acting. And so I would act out the parts of the scene. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm going to start sitting. And then I think at this point is where I want to get up. And so that hopefully when I come to set, um, I have a really good idea of, of what seems natural and at least natural to me. And that may or may not be true for the actor. And, and of course I'm totally open to changing that um, and working with that. But, but I don't even begin shot designing until I think I know what makes sense naturally with the blocking. Um, so that was that was a skill set that I that I had to really work on um, that I didn't anticipate. When I work with the DP, which is great when you have the chance to have um, if you have two DPs, um, cinematographers on set, then while you're prepping, you have a DP with you the whole time. And so we do DGA theater a lot of the time with the first AD where where I'm like putting you go here and then we're going to cross here and then we're going to do this. And um, so we all look like crazy people because we're, we're, you know, pretending to be, you know, those characters, but, but it's crucial. It's like to see, to see how it's going to feel. And then, like I said, if an, if an actor feels like, no, that's not where I would stand up. I would, I actually feel like I should stand up here. Then of course, you know, I'm going to let them. In fact, when I, when I rehearse, when I rehearse, I don't tell them what, what I want. I don't, I'm not a puppet master. So I'll say like, here's where I'd like you to start you know, and, and just see what, see what happens. So then I can see what they had in mind. And, you know, a lot of times it's similar because, you know, it just kind of makes sense that way. So that's, that's the thing. The other thing would be the travel. It used to, when I started so much was shooting here in LA and now it's not. So that was one thing that it's, it's a difficult thing because I'm gone for three to four weeks per episode and it's Canada or it's Georgia or it's North Carolina and not LA. I haven't shot in LA since 2014. <laughs> so, so the travel aspect of it was, you know, something that wasn't anticipated for sure. You've done a lot of, uh, of drama and uh, romantic type shows aside from Charmed. What's a genre or a story that you would like to tackle? Well, you know, my tastes are so eclectic. So it's, I think, I think, Something that I would really like to get my dig my teeth into would be uh, this like hardcore drama of say like Ozark or Broadchurch or something something just really gritty and you know dark Mare of Easttown things like that. But on the other hand, like one of my favorite shows, I can't wait for it to come back is Umbrella Academy, which is totally like on the opposite side of the spectrum. Yeah, and and it's, it's just fantastic and it's so inventive and. Um, and so I wouldn't consider myself a superhero type director, but that would be a show that I would just love to have the opportunity to direct. But then also I'm watching what we do in the shadows right now. I'm like, that would be amazing. <laughs> and that's comedy. So kind of all over, but I think, I think ultimately my tendency is to lean toward drama and that's kind of, you know, where I've been so far. So, but I, I will say though, doing Charmed, it definitely, I got a taste for some of that fun special effects, visual effects fight sequences. I mean, it, it's really fun and it's fun to be dramatic with the lighting and, and the camera. So there, there's, there's a lot of fun to be had in that, in those genres. So for my last question, 
I'm going to ask you, what's your best piece of storytelling advice? You know, something that is, I think the best piece I have is, is defining yourself. And even if you are starting or you're midway through your career or you're toward the end of the career, I think it's important to revisit that. And I, and it's funny, it's, it's advice that I forget to give myself. <laughs> and I, and I, I remember when I was teaching, cause I taught for a while at Florida state and I had to really define what I did as a filmmaker in order to articulate it to the students. And that was a really huge, that made a huge impact on me as a storyteller. It was really, really helpful and helped me figure out, okay, this is what I do for real. Like I'm, it's not a gut thing necessarily. It can be, but it's really to define my craft, but also defining my voice and my aesthetic and how it changes. Um, As I said, I just did a, a film grant application and they wanted to know, you know, they want you write 500 words about what kind of director are you? What kind of stories do you like to tell? What motivates you as a filmmaker? And so it was really great to revisit that at this stage in my career and realize, okay, this is these are still the stories I like to tell. And even if I don't have the option to tell those specific stories, it still comes from a place of strength as a filmmaker. I still have that to reach out and into and, and bring to the table. So I know why I want to make films. I know why I want to tell stories. And so that just empowers me to, to do the best work that I can because I'm very clear about, about who I am. And, and then also just revisiting that, as I said, over time, um, because you will, it changes, you know. And do you want to, you want to share that with us? Why, why do you tell stories? Ah, a lot of my stories come from, or the, the sense that I have is uh, getting through trauma and whether it's whether it's a physical trauma or a mental trauma or death, for example, things like that, the resiliency that comes through that, those are the things that mean a lot to me. And I think as a teacher, especially as a professor, w- wanting to pull that out of the students and give them the courage to do what they wanted to do. And so I think I think I find that in the characters that I write and I try to pull that through any story I'm trying to tell is, you know, coming through the other side and that that path, that journey and 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 whether it's good or bad, you know, the ending. Um, but that's, that's sort of the source of where I come from. Well, thank you for talking story with me today, Brandy. Sure thing. My pleasure. You can find out more about Brandy's work at www.brandybradburn.com or follow her on Instagram at Brandy underscore directs and get ready for our next season of Dynasty. You can watch more of these podcasts on YouTube, subscribe to Spilled Ink Media. If you're more the audio podcast type, then find Beginning, Middle, End podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can tweet me at Twitter at OptionalD. And we're just starting out on this journey, so any positive review, comment, or thumbs up really helps. Tune in next time as we unravel more great story threads. Thanks. The end. <laughs>